We are in Colossians. You can open up to Colossians chapter 1. We started this series last time. Jared went through the beginning portion of this chapter. And the Apostle Paul identifies himself as an Apostle of Christ, of God. And he is writing this group of people he's never met. And so we did some background work to see that Epaphras, this guy whom Paul mentions, is a, is a man who heard the gospel through Paul's preaching in Ephesus and went to his hometown Colossae and brought this gospel message with him. And it rapidly took root in the people's heart and transformed lives and they were spreading it. And, and so Epaphras, when problems start to arise, goes to find Paul and tells him all that's going on. And Paul is amazed at God for what he's done in Colossae. But he also feels this, this responsibility, though he doesn't know these people, he feels this pastoral responsibility for them. So he writes this letter. First of all, thanking God for what the gospel's already done and then continuing to point them back to the gospel as they live their lives as Christians. And so we're getting into this and it's exciting because we too are believers in a culture that tells us all these different kinds of things. And we don't know exactly what kind of false teaching was going on in Colossae, but we know that it was adding to the gospel. And if you add to it, you've messed up. And so we're looking at this letter written to these people. It actually happened. Paul actually did this. And it's incredible that we have had it preserved because it's the word of God. And we get to read it and take from it what would apply to us, believers, in a completely different century, Completely different culture, but very much applicable. And so we're going to look at the next section of, of verses 9 through 14 this morning. And we're going to go through them slowly and, and look at what exactly Paul is saying. We'll see quickly that it's a continuation of his prayer for the, the Christians in Colossae. Um, but it also very much applies to us. And so let's read the passage and then we'll break it down. Starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Beautiful. It's wonderful. In fact, it's, I, I truly believe that because this is the word of God, it's living, it's active, and that alone, without me doing any sort of explanation, any sort of application, that alone should stir affections in you for God. But we also believe the proclamation of the gospel, the breaking down of Scripture, seeing exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul for these people and applying it to us is what we should do on a Sunday morning to worship our God. We gather to sing songs. We gather to worship in word as well. So we're going to look at it. We're going to dissect it. And we're going to see how it applies to us. And I, I really hope that you'll be as encouraged as I was studying this passage. And, and so what we want to see 
First of all, is Paul is doing something that he always does. He's very purposeful with his language. And so this, this passage in, in the original language, 9 through 14, is actually just one big sentence. And it's, he's using a lot of phrases. He's using a lot of foreshadowing. He's, he's referring back to some things. He's echoing what he's already said in this letter. But he's pointing forward to something incredible. In fact, the whole theme of the book of Colossians is what he's pointing to. That it's all about Jesus. He really wants them to see that there's people saying these different things you need to add to your faith. There's people teaching you to do some things that aren't exactly right. And I know that you know the gospel because we've seen it do things there already. So you need to go back to what Jesus has done. His desire for them is the same desire we should have for us. That it's all about Jesus. And when we look to seeing it's all about Jesus, everything is taken care of. Everything. All needs are met in Jesus. Your desire to be better is found in Jesus. Your desire to please God is found in Jesus. And so it's not enough, though, to just say, Jesus is the answer. You guys have a good day. We need to really see that this is true. We need to believe that it's true. And we need to see what that means for our lives. And so before we get into what exactly he's praying, I want to just take a look at what he's not praying. So what he's not doing here is he knows they're doing, doing some wrong things. He's not saying, God, please help them remember the first and second commandment. God, give them the, he's not giving them the rules and saying, hey, look, you're not doing it right. And he's not questioning their Christianity. He's not accusing them of not being a Christian because of what they're doing. And he's not telling them you should just try harder. Grit your teeth. You can do this. Pat on the back. He instead points them to the gospel, the work of the gospel. He affirms that they are Christians and their salvation is still dependent on the gospel. And he also prays that they would have a continued sanctification, continuing to be more and more like Jesus through the power and the will of God through the gospel. So for whatever reason, they bought into these teachings and additions to their faith. It's wrong. And so just, just like us, we believe this lie that for some reason, there must be something beyond the gospel. There must be something outside of the gospel to add to my life so that I can do this right. Because yeah, it saved me, but I need, I need something else. What am I not doing right? What do I need to do in order to please God? What do I need to do in order to be a good husband? What do I need to do in order to be a good wife or parent or employee or whatever it is that you're trying to be? We want there to be something we can do. And there is. But motivation is all important in this. So the passage is about the power of the gospel, the work of Christ. That's verse 13 and 14 to accomplish everything. Let's break it down. Verse 9. He prays that they will have knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. So it's through the, an increase in these intellectual virtues, the wisdom and understanding. It's through an increase in those things that Paul is suggesting will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him and bearing good fruit. It's through the development of those things that that happens. And we see that Paul truly believes this. He also writes it to the Romans, chapter 12 of Romans, verse 2. 
do not be conformed to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, good, acceptable, perfect. So it's something going on in the mind. It's something going on with the way we think. There's something going on with the wisdom and understanding that we have of the Word of God. Everyone in here, would, you desire to know the will of God, right? We really want to know, what does he want? What does he want me to do? That's, that's the begging question of anyone who calls himself a Christian. What do we need to do? What do I need to know? God, what is your will? Give me understanding because I don't understand the situation. What do we do is always the question we ask. But Paul says, don't be conformed to the image of this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he prays that we would know the will of God a spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so I want to break down these, these ways of thinking like this. Pastor Timothy Keller explains it in these words. The operating principle of religion is I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. And the operating principle of the gospel is I'm accepted by God through Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. There's a very important order here. We either work to be accepted by God, or we realize we are accepted by God, so our response is obedience. Everyone in here falls into this, and it's likely your struggle is both. It's likely that more often than not, you're operating under the principle of religion. Because the question we always ask is, what do I do? And because our culture that we have been conformed to has influenced us in every way. And so we all function with this understanding that we get what we deserve because that's what our culture has fed us since we were knee-high to a grasshopper. I've never used a saying like that. I don't know why I did. We've worked hard to earn our place in whatever you're doing, your reputation, your status, your, your position at your job, the amount you make. You've worked hard to, to meet the approval of your parents, your teachers, your children, even your, your, your uh, spouse, your coworker. You've worked hard to fit these molds. You've worked hard to get people's approval. We've obeyed the culture so that the culture would accept us. That's what we've been taught our entire lives. And so when we realize that the gospel is counter to all of that, it's counter to all of culture, it's counter to the intellect, it's counter to reason. It doesn't make sense that God would save us, though we don't deserve it. It doesn't make sense that he would graciously bring us into the kingdom of light when we don't even do anything to deserve it. We don't have to approve anything to him. It doesn't make sense to us, and so we, we try to reason with it. We try to say, no, there's got to be something I do. There's got to be something that earns it. But if that's not the mindset we have to have. There needs to be a shift, a transformation of the mind. There needs to be a, a wisdom that's not of this world. Romans, in Romans, he also says that to God, the wisdom of men is folly. The wisest man who's ever lived, take it Socrates or whoever it might be, it's foolish to the wisdom of God. And those were smart guys. I don't know if you've read their stuff. 
They were figuring people out long before anyone knew that you could figure people out. But to God, far beyond, God knows everything that was, everything that will be, everything that could be had it gone a different direction. God is far beyond that, and He has offered us a wisdom and understanding that leads to something that we deeply desire. So it's foolish of us to continue to try and earn it. The gospel being counter to all of that is important. But if we struggle, it's, it's not going to look much different in practice. Because the truth is, whether you operate under the principle of the gospel or religion, it's going to look similar in this setting. So in here, there are people under both principles, but you're all here. If you're under religion or under the gospel, you still tithe. You still read your Bible. You still pray. You still have relationships within the church. It looks the same. But the motivation is incredibly different. In fact, not only is the motivation different, but the effect on you is going to be different. If you're living life in religion and the life of obligated obedience, there's going to be stress and frustration. And at best, there's a self-righteousness, which isn't best. And the gospel, if you live under the gospel, your obedience, remember, follows your acceptance. And so there's this grateful, free obedience, full of peace and joy because of God's grace. It's completely different. Certainly, you would prefer the freedom. Let's keep reading so we can get a better idea of how to operate under the principle of the gospel. Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. How? Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. So we see that it's all because of what Christ has done. It's all through the power according to the glorious might for the endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And what's accomplished? Well, it's according to the glorious might that we are qualified to share an inheritance delivered from the darkness, transferred to the kingdom of Christ. Redemption, forgiveness happens. But our response is giving thanks to the Father. And that, that little section, giving thanks to the Father, it's part of a verse, giving thanks to the Father, can easily be looked over, but I think it has incredible weight on this passage, incredible significance in us operating under the principle of the gospel. Romans 1.21, in this, in this chapter, Paul's starting this letter to the Romans and he's explaining to them what went wrong. He's explaining how we have so easily gone astray. We're so easily worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. Everything is messed up and to the point that God has given them up to their sin. And Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1, they did not honor God as God or give thanks to Him. Give thanks. Take a, a hint from Marshawn Lynch. I'm thankful. If you didn't get that reference, it's okay, but it's hilarious. Be thankful. Be thankful. That is something, but it's not necessarily doing something. 
It's a position of the heart. It's an understanding. It's a wisdom. It's a mindset. It's, a, it's what leads us to worship of God, that we are thankful. So if God's actions and attitudes towards us are characterized by His grace, then our actions and attitude towards God, our response, should be characterized by gratitude. If God pours out grace, undeserved love, undeserved favor, then our response can be nothing but gratitude. And that gratitude plays out in so many ways, but it, it's, it's not going to look like, well, God saved me, so I guess I better do this. Well, God, He did... He did save me. He did give me a wife. He gave me kids. So I guess I better read my Bible this morning. It's not going to look like I better write this tithe check for exactly 10% so that because I, I owe God that. You could never pay Him back. There's nothing we could do to ever pay Him back for what He's done. Your response is an incredible sense of gratitude that leads you and draws you to praise of Him because He has done something far beyond what we can imagine. <coughs> Our lack of gratitude not only robs God of glory that He's due, but it's also taking on pressure to live life as if we could save ourselves because the only other option, if Jesus isn't your Savior, is that you become your own Savior. And you'll fail at that. And it requires of you a, a pressure to continue to do this impossible work of salvation that He also does. And, that, and then we end up faking it or, or lying or pretending that we're something we're not, working hard to achieve a righteousness that is not meant for us to re, uh, achieve. And, and we're self-sufficient in a way that leaves us worn out and hating and bitter towards everyone. Freedom in the gospel comes simply by, by being grateful, not by trying harder to believe. We find freedom in the gospel when we live grateful lives because of the gospel. So why don't I indulge in lust in, in the flesh? Because, because God satisfies and I'm grateful. It's not a, okay, well, I'm feeling really lustful, so God, God is good, God is good, God is good, and convincing yourself. You're not just repeating these things. We talk about believing God is good, but it doesn't, just, it doesn't just come on by will. You don't just force yourself to believe it. You realize how good He is, how He satisfies everything you could ever need, how He comforts your soul like nothing in this world could comfort your soul, and you respond by being grateful that God is so good. And it's not that we have to prove ourselves to God. It's not that we just say, okay, God's gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. God's gracious, God's gracious, God's gracious. We don't just keep repeating it as if we're going to force ourselves to believe it. We step back and we see what God has saved us from. That He has poured out on you a grace unimaginable for things that you don't even realize you deserve. He is so gracious and He takes you in and nothing you can do Nothing you can't do, nothing changes His love for you. And so we should be grateful that He loves us even when we fail. And no matter how good we are at following the rules, His love is the same. And so we're 
thankful and we worship. And so what exactly are we thankful for? Well, the gospel, yes. But let's see what the gospel is. Continue. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we once were under the domain of darkness. We once were far from God, but He, in His own will, in His own desire, in His love for us, graciously has transferred us under the kingship of Jesus Christ. We're, we're not enslaved to the sin. We're free in Christ. And because of our freedom in Christ, we obey. But I don't know that we really understand this phrase, we have been qualified. And so let's, let's consider the word qualified. If, if all the guys in here got together and we were feeling really good about ourselves, so we drove to New Orleans and we tried out for the saints. Yes, I would be a saint. If the NFL would take me, I'll go anywhere. So we go to New Orleans. Now, with the exception of Brendan, who is a Division I athlete, ULM, go Hawks. We probably would fail utterly. Now, all respect to Brendan, you're not making the team either, just say. <laughs> Certainly some of us would be better at it than others. But nobody's qualifying. Not a chance. I mean, some of us wouldn't make it onto the field. They would just look at you and say, I'm sorry, man. And that pales in comparison to the qualification it takes to get to God. To the standard we have to live to be in communion with God. You do not qualify. It's not even a consideration. Nothing you could offer Him is enough. But Jesus, knowing what we deserve, knowing what He would have to endure, came to qualify us. And He accomplished it. It's, it's not enough for us to just see the passion of the Christ and envision this suffering, physical pain unimaginable to us because we freak out with a paper cut or stumped toe. Jesus suffered incredible physical pain. Incredible pain. Like, can't even describe it. He definitely suffered physical pain. But the emotional weight on top of that, the things you can't see, the emotional weight of depression, anxiety, frustration, those things that we battle daily. And more than any of that, the wrath of God, His Father, for all who would believe ever in history, past, present, future, every saint that would ever live, he took on their wrath, the wrath that we would have to endure, the suffering in earth and eternity in hell that still wouldn't be enough. Eternity goes on forever. We understand that. So Jesus took on this wrath for us so that we could be qualified, unworthy. We were unworthy. We were unqualified. There's no chance 
And he has paid the price in his death and in his resurrection. We have been made worthy. We have been qualified. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could know the righteousness of God. And in Christ alone we're qualified. It's incredible. And it's not that we've become sinless because we certainly are not sinless. And that is why Paul is writing this letter to believers to tell them you must continue to see you're qualified in Christ alone. And his prayer is that they would have wisdom and understanding that would lead them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Making good fruit evidence of salvation. And so Paul's message to the Colossians is the same message we need to hear today. If we add anything to the gospel, it changes everything. And don't miss this, guys, because Jesus can be simply an example, an inspiration for your religious, moral behavior. And you could be good at it, following the example of Jesus. Or He can be your Savior. And if He's not your Savior, you are. And if you're attempting to function as your Savior, you're not going to accomplish what's necessary because you will never qualify. We must increase in the knowledge of God's will, wisdom, and understanding of His might. And that only happens when we see that it's all about Jesus. It only happens when we function under this principle of the Gospel. Obedience because we see His grace grateful for His grace. And so consider that all of us in the last couple of weeks, since the last time we were together, everyone in here has sinned. Every one of us. In fact, I, this morning, concerned about what you guys would think of me preaching, sinned. I have done things this last week, week before my life. I have done things that were incredibly sinful. I have thought things that were incredibly sinful. I have said things that were incredibly sinful. And so have all of you, everyone. We need to see we are incredibly sinful. More than we even know, we are sinful and undeserving. Everyone. And everyone in here has done good things. We've been obedient. Even the most wicked person in this room has had a a second of obedience in their life, I'm sure. Right? Everyone's sinful. Everyone's experienced obedience. And not either of those remotely affect God's love for us. Neither of those things, whether you're an utter failure in life or you're the best of the best, it does not change God's love for you. That should be freeing. That should make you want to like jump right now and say, let's just sing. Let's just praise this God who pours out this grace that I can't change with my failure and I can't change with my success. It should make you grateful. It should bring us to this point of worship because our God is incredibly gracious. It's so amazing that is the gospel, not that you would work hard to earn his approval. 
We've got to break free from that mindset because it's damning. It sends us to hell. There's no salvation in religion. It's got heated. There's nothing I want more than to believe this and understand this and have wisdom from God and for you to have it as well. For us to be a church that hears the gospel, believes the gospel, and lives the gospel out. And guys, you're not alone. And don't, don't sit there and think, man, I really struggle with this. Kendrick's so good at it. Because that's not true. Jared and I, just this last week, had this conversation We meet as elders and we talk about what's, what we're struggling with. Scott wasn't with us because he was out doing whatever he was doing in Nicaragua. <clears throat> Being on mission. But Scott and I were talking about, I mean, Jared and I were talking about how we both struggle with the same thing, but on different sides of it. Jared was, I'm just going to confess his sin to everybody. <laughs> Jared, Jared's struggle is that he gets too dependent on himself when he's doing things right. He's, he's working well, he's scheduled well, and he feels like God favors him more when he's doing things right, and that's sinful. And I feel like I'm failing a lot. I, I can't organize my mind trying to think through seminary and have a baby going to be here. And I want to love my wife well. And so I just hate myself because I feel like I'm failing at all of those things, and that's sinful. I know you're there too. So why are we acting like we're not? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is that He has qualified us. Our hope is that God's grace is not dependent on either of those things. <clears throat> I want to read a couple quotes to you from some guys that I really respect. And if you didn't get one of the little worship guides, the quotes are on there. Actually, I don't know if they are. I'll send them to you if you want them, but... J.D. Greer says, The gospel points us upward to God who gave himself for us, backward to the price he paid for our sin, forward to what he's making us into. Religion points also, but instead of pointing towards God, it points its finger at us, telling us to try harder. Tim Chester says it like this, religion says that you should not, while the gospel says that you need not. Religion is constantly shouting, you shouldn't sleep with your boyfriend, you shouldn't get drunk, you shouldn't lose your temper. That's not good news to people who are struggling with these issues. It's condemnation. But the gospel says you need not Give yourself to your boyfriend because God's love will never fail you. You need not get drunk because Jesus offers a more sure refuge. You need not lose your temper because God is in control. It's beautiful. The gospel frees us from dependence on ourself. It frees us from dependence on what the world has to offer. And it frees us to worship a God who gives all things. And so we should celebrate God. We should celebrate the work of Christ. We should celebrate the gospel in our song, in our actions, in our thinking. But we need 
God to transform our minds. And so the gospel leads to freedom. And if, if you aren't experiencing freedom, it's likely that you're failing to believe the gospel. It may be because you, you don't see the bigness of your sin and what Christ has accomplished. It may just be because you're not grateful for it. And so as our minds are being renewed, our affections will follow and we will feel grateful for Jesus. Grateful because He is better than everything else. And, and as an as a ending idea, an ending thought to all of this, it absolutely requires sacrifice. A sacrifice of our control, a sacrifice of our lustful habits, a sacrifice of what you want to see happen for your life or your children's life. It's a sacrifice, absolutely. But if we know that we've been qualified to be in the kingdom of Christ and we realize that Christ has accomplished these things on our behalf, then our heart will go out to Him in obedience and it will be pleasing to Him. And it's truly no sacrifice at all because we find more in Him than we could ever find in the things we're having to sacrifice but if you're thinking under the principle of religion and trying really hard to do good and to obey God so He doesn't reject you and, and living life to please Him as if it's, as if it's necessary, then, then you're doing all of that at the expense of your happiness. You're doing all of that at the expense of your comforts. And then it becomes difficult. And then it's a white-knuckling, grit-your-teeth, work-through-the-motions it's only under the principle of the gospel do we have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And it's only under the principle of the gospel that we realize He has qualified us. And we're no longer in the domain of darkness, but we now are under Christ. And your living to please Him pleases you. And the expression of a grateful heart full of affection for Christ is your expression of believing the gospel. It's beautiful. And so as Paul prayed, our prayer should also be that we could know God's will through the transformation of our minds, through our hearts growing in affections for Him, because we are grateful for what He has done. Let's pray. God, You are gracious to save and to sanctify your people. You have given us the mercy we need for the troubles of this day. And you will provide new mercies for tomorrow. You have done the necessary work to free us from the chains of our sin, our selfishness, and you, are redeem you have redeemed us and you are forgiving us daily as our salvation is secure in you and our sanctification continues. God, our lifestyle is not dependent on our behavior, but on what you have accomplished. And I pray that you would clothe us in the righteousness of Christ, freeing us to worship you and enjoying you forever. You are faithful to grant us all that we need, and you are faithful to do the work in us so that we could bear good fruit and be pleasing to you, And so I pray that in this time we would respond in worship of you as we will worship and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name. Guys, as a final encouragement, I want you 
to not let not let this become a time where you dump everything out on Sunday morning, but that every day during the week you would confess your sins to one another, that you would worship God in your life, that we would see freedom comes as we practice this, not as coming on Sunday as, as if that's going to do something. It's not about that. And also, if you've not dealt with sin, now is a time to deal with it and confess those things. And so we're going to participate in in worship in, in different ways, communion, giving, singing. Let's do that as one body.